Hey, good morning. Hey, it's always a privilege to stand uh, where Lloyd Brock stands, uh, to stand in his footsteps. Uh, I'd follow this man uh, just about anywhere, uh, just about anywhere. There might be some places I wouldn't, I don't know. Uh, but uh, we're, I'm grateful to be able to share with you this morning, and I'm wondering, uh, how was your July 4th? Do you remember July 4th still? Seems like a while ago, doesn't it, already? A few days. It's amazing how fast uh, we move on. Uh, some of my favorite childhood memories uh, revolve around July 4th. I remember vividly sitting in Memorial Stadium, waiting for what seemed like days for the fireworks to start, for it to finally get dark. Every other day of the year of the summer, I was uh, hoping it would get dark later so I could stay out playing baseball longer. But that one day, it seemed like it took forever uh, for it to get dark. And uh, finally, uh, darkness would come. I remember sitting there wishing my dad would uh, spring for that 25-cent popcorn uh, that they were walking around trying to sell. I remember uh, setting off Saturn missiles and bottle rockets in Kansas City with my cousins. I remember when I learned that, um, that you could aim bottle rockets. And, I, and then I also remember learning why you don't do that. Uh, and it's a really bad idea. I remember, I remember uh, being inspired by the ground displays uh, during the fireworks and the American flag uh, being all lit up in sparklers or whatever they were and the, while the national anthem was being sung. Uh, I was a very patriotic kid. I was a pretty rough kid physically. I was uh, disheveled most of the time. I was uh, kind of rowdy, uh, but I was also pretty nerdy. I read the newspaper almost every day, even in grade school, from cover to cover. That's back when newspapers, you know, actually had paper. And uh, it was, it was, it was. Uh, I was very interested in politics. I remember one time in fourth grade, my teacher uh, made uh, a passing reference to America losing the Vietnam War. And uh, she also made a disparaging comment about the conduct of our troops. And so I just considered it my patriotic duty to interrupt her. And so I interrupted her, and I, I informed her that we most certainly did not lose the Vietnam War. And for that matter, we had never lost a war, and that we didn't go there to conquer a nation. We went to stop the spread of communism, and maybe she'd be happier if the whole world just became communist. <laughs> so she informed me that uh, I better remember who the teacher is in this classroom. And I informed her that I had freedom of speech. And in true communist fashion, she censored me and exiled me to the hallway. So I look back on that incident as an adult, and uh, you laugh at that. I still don't really laugh at it because my parents didn't laugh at it. They didn't think it was very funny at all. And I, but I think back on that, and I think, you know, she was absolutely right about my behavior being inappropriate, and uh, she was partly right about uh, some of the other things that she said. Now, we all recognize that no nation is perfect, that every nation, no matter how high the ideals are upon which it is founded, uh, doesn't perfectly embody those ideals all the time. I still believe that God is the God of all nations, and I believe that God has in his providence allowed, uh, if maybe even uh, uh, decided, that the United States of America would be raised up as a nation. I still believe that this nation was founded to be one nation under God. I also recognize that at many points our nation has failed to live up to its own founding ideals, and not just in recent days, but from the very beginning we failed in many respects. We celebrated the 242nd birthday of our nation this week. I thank God that I was born an American. 
It's the first nation in the history of nations that I know of to be founded on an idea that all people are created equal and endowed by their creator with inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm even more grateful that at age 16, I was born again, not as an American, but as a citizen of God's eternal kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. As an American, I'm very aware of my individual rights and your individual rights. As a Christian, I have denied myself, even my rights, even my right to be right, and I've taken up my cross to follow Jesus. So if we are citizens of a different kingdom, does that mean that in order to be a Christian, I have to be unpatriotic? I would argue to you that the most patriotic thing any citizen could ever do is call his nation to honor God, to challenge one's nation when he sees the nation dishonoring God, and to celebrate his nation when he sees the nation honoring God. There's a lot for us to learn, I think, from the Old Testament prophets. Take a look with me, if you would, at Jeremiah chapter 17. And uh, Jeremiah is uh, speaking very bluntly, very plainly uh, to the nation of Israel. And uh, we are not the nation of Israel, uh, but uh, we are a nation, and we're a nation founded to be one nation under God. And so it ought, to make, it ought to matter to us, it ought to make sense to us whether we are honoring that God. Jeremiah 17, I think, is very uh, relevant to us today. The sin of Judah, Jeremiah says, is inscribed with an iron chisel, engraved with a diamond point on their stony hearts and on the corners of their altars. Even their children go to worship at their pagan altars and Asherah poles beneath every green tree and on every high hill. So I will hand over my holy mountain along with all your wealth and treasures and your pagan shrines as plunder to your enemies. For sin runs rampant in your land. You know that God has a history of turning over his people to pagan peoples who are even more evil than his people in order to redeem and restore and, and uh, bring back his people. You think that we're free forever from that same fate if we walk the same direction that the Israelites did. The wonderful possession I have reserved for you, in verse 4, will slip from your hands. I will tell your enemies to take you as captives to a foreign land, for my anger blazes like a fire that will burn forever. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord. The Lord never brings us bad news without offering good news. He never gets on us for how we are without showing us how we can be more like Him. And that's what he starts doing in verse 7. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. May God bless the reading of his word. We are at our best as a nation when we choose to be utterly dependent on God and determined to reflect His presence and purposes in our world. Our founding document 
that we celebrated this week, the Declaration of Independence, is known, well known, for declaring our independence from the King of England, along with a list of grievances and the reasons why we were declaring our independence. What we don't usually learn about in our schools, or frankly very many places, is that our Declaration of Independence contains within it a very profound Declaration of Dependence. Look at these uh, quotes from the Declaration of Independence that declare our dependence. We are dependent. It, says, it refers uh, to our freedoms, and, uh, and it, it says, to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. This is in the Declaration of Independence. They are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Who, who gives people their rights? The state? God. Appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. I dare say if a, uh, if a nominee for the Supreme Court were to use these exact phrases in their, uh, in their confirmation hearings, they very well might not be confirmed today. And yet these statements come directly from our founding document. Our Declaration of Independence has within it a profound declaration of dependence. And that's what I want to call you to today. When we highlight our founding documents, we need to remember, let me just take a second out here uh, and, and just give this caveat. Uh, when we highlight our founding documents, we're not calling America back to some golden age when we got everything right and everybody was happy. That age never existed. We never got everything right. We have to recognize that there are many who very understandably get very nervous when a white preacher or politician recalls fondly how much better things used to be. As a white American, I hear these words in the Declaration of Independence, and I celebrate them even though I recognize that the freedoms spoken of in our founding documents were not extended to those of African descent or Native American descent. It's fairly easy for me to calculate that, that extending these rights to 90% of the population was still more free than any country had ever been. And so I think for that time in history, they did the best they could. But if my ancestors were part of the, dis, the enslaved or the displaced, how would I feel about white church folks holding that era up as some sort of ideal to which we must return? Yeah, I'd probably see it very, very differently. Because if I was part of that 10%, it would be 100% of my experience and my perspective. I believe Christians of every race are uniquely positioned right now to embody reconciliation and to call out our nation when it fails to live up to its ideals and fails to extend uh, these ideals to everybody. We are set up right now as Christians to, to uh, overcome, to transcend some of the low-level political rancor that, uh, that our country is known for right now. Uh, we are set up as Christians to not be beholden to any political party or to any political philosophy, but to hold up Jesus as Lord and in so doing become agents of reconciliation spiritually and politically. It's, there's an escaped slave and abolitionist, uh, Frederick Douglass, who's an amazing example of this. If you're not familiar with Frederick Douglass, uh, he, he lived to be 77 years old uh, in the 1800s, 1700s to 1800s. Uh, he was America's most famous abolitionist. He was an escaped slave, and he delivered thousands of speeches during his lifetime. He wrote three autobiographies, 
He started newspapers. He met with Abraham Lincoln. He championed the cause of African-American civil rights. But most people downplay, and this comes from the Christian, uh, an issue of Christianity Today uh, from this last February. Most people downplay a crucial part of his life, and that is that it was his radical Christian faith that motivated him to call America to live up to its highest ideals. He wasn't anti-American in his criticism of America. He was, he was very much calling America to live up to its highest ideals, which at the time it very much had not been living up to and never had lived up to. So Douglas's uh, prophetic Christian faith came out of his suffering as a child, as a slave. Before he escaped at age 20, he witnessed uh, great cruelty, uh, especially at the hands of the masters who quoted scripture and who were Christians. He saw firsthand the brutal whippings, the cold-blooded murder, the daily trials of physical and psychological abuse. His aunt at age 15 uh, was, uh, was beaten nearly to death. In 1826, Douglas was sent to Baltimore to live with Hugh and Sophia Auld. When he heard Sophia, a devout Christian, read from the book of Job, Douglas decided that he had to know more about this man Job so, so that he could also be blessed by the name of the Lord in spite of his suffering. In fact, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. So that he could say with Job, blessed be the name of the Lord in spite of his suffering. As a teenager, he formally converted to Christianity, uh, shepherded by free black Methodists, and assurance of salvation came to him slowly but surely. And finally, Douglas wrote uh, about his faith in a document called Redeemer, Friend, and Savior. Here's one of uh, Frederick Douglass's key quotes. He said, uh, as he looked across uh, the American landscape, that between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. He said, for, he said that the problem was not Jesus or Christianity, it was hypocrisy. It was Americans not living up to their founding ideals. It was Christians not living up to Jesus's ideals. He looked around and said what he called, quote, corrupt, slaveholding, women whipping, cradle plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity everywhere present in America. He blasted, quote, the man who wields the blood clotted cow skin during the week, fills the pulpit on Sunday and claims to be a minister of the meek and lowly Jesus. He derided the slaveholder who, quote, covers his infernal business with the garb of Christianity. He compared uh, to Pharisees and when they were condemned by Jesus, slaveholders and, and their defenders. And he says this, the last quote from him, uh, I attend with, they attend with pharisaical strictness to the outward forms of religion and at the same time neglect the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. He said that they had utterly abandoned the true Christianity, and invited the wrath of a just and avenging God. So we recognize when we call uh, back to our founding documents that even then we didn't get everything right. We recognize that Americans today of uh, African descent, Native American descent, and perhaps many others uh, will hear, hear uh, our hearkening back and wonder, what are we really saying? 
We need to recognize that, and we need to be the kind of people who on an individual basis with neighbors and coworkers and uh, community members and, and fellow churchgoers always extend a hand of friendship and reconciliation and understanding and never, ever parrot the, uh, the low-level political rancor that we hear on 24-7 news channels. I don't care which news channel it is. I don't care which party it, it, it uh, uh not so subtly represents, uh, we, we are not called to get into the mud and have those kind of fights. We're called to continually speak for Jesus. And we are being incredibly patriotic when we do, because it is upon those ideals that our nation was founded. In 1768, uh, Patrick Henry rode a, a lot of miles to a trial in Spotsylvania County, Virginia. There were three Baptist ministers. This is 1768. Sometimes we talk about how anti-freedom uh, and anti-Christian uh, things are today. 1768 is when this story happened. You getting that? You remember what year this is? That's a long time ago, back when uh, maybe we thought things were easier for Christians. See, what happened was these Baptist ministers were being tried for preaching the gospel without the approval of the Episcopalian Church, which was, which was the American version of the Church of England. Patrick Henry was greatly disturbed by this, and in the middle of the proceedings, he walked in and interrupted. See, great Americans have a history of interrupting, just like I did, so I was on the right track. He said, may it please your lordships, what did I hear read? Did I hear an expression that these men, whom your worships are about to try for misdemeanor, are charged with preaching the gospel of the Son of God? The preachers were released. Patrick Henry went on to say, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, peoples of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here. Being a free country and being a country founded on Christian Judeo-Christian principles are not mutually exclusive. They are not poles to be held in tension. Uh, it is precisely because we, are in, we, we attempt to embody the ethic of Jesus Christ that we give freedom to everybody regardless of the creed they show up with. Now, who do you suppose said this quote? It is the duty of nations as well as of men who owe their dependence upon the overruling power of God to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the holy scriptures and proven by a history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. Who do you think said this? The awful calamity of civil war which now desolates the land may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no nation has grown, but we have forgotten God. Who do you suppose said that? Abraham Lincoln, 1863. Amen. Oswald Chambers says this, whenever God touches sin, it's independence that is touched. Let me say that again. Whenever God touches sin, it is independence that is touched. And that awakens resentment in the human heart. Independence must be blasted clean out. There must be no such thing left. Only freedom 
which is very different. Freedom is the ability not to insist on my rights, but to see that God gets his. So what are we to do? 21st century, Midwestern, mostly white, Christian people. Here's where I think we ought to start. We ought to pray. We ought to pray with humility and with hope. Because in a lot of ways, things have gotten worse as our nation has drifted away from God. But our nation also has the potential, as it has through two great awakenings, to have a major return to God and get it better before, after it than we did before it. And since we've never gotten everything right, Christians probably shouldn't be about the business of picking sides in current debates. We ought to be about the business of holding high the ideals upon which we were founded and the ideals that Jesus calls us to. Thomas Merton prays this prayer, and I would invite you to pray this prayer uh, with him, maybe, maybe not aloud, but, uh, but in your heart. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. You ever feel that way? I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself, and the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope that desire in all that I'm doing, I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. I think the best a Christian people can do in uncertain times is to be even more certain about the one in whom we put our hope. And if there is hope for this nation, it will come from a people who put their hope in Christ. Whether we win the debates, whether we're strong economically, whether we have any power or not, because Jesus didn't change the world by winning debates or ascending to power. He changed the world by investing his life into 12 disciples, preaching to people when he had the chance, feeding people when he had the chance, healing people when he had the chance, and embodying the love of the Holy Trinity to this world and giving himself, laying down his rights for the sake of the eternal redemption of everybody, uh, well, of everybody. I don't need to qualify the end of that sentence, do I? You know, uh, chances are, if you study the history of nations, no nation lasts forever, no empire lasts forever. The United States of America is not an eternal entity. The kingdom of heaven is. And that is where my primary citizenship must be if I'm going to be the kind of blessing to the United States of America that God wants me to be. May it be said of all of us every day and when people look back on our lives that we weren't best known for our hobbies or our politics, but we were best known for loving and embodying Jesus. I think that's the best politics I could, we could ever promote. It's 4th of July week. You've heard me preach a few times if you've been around here a few years. You've been around here longer than that, maybe a few more times than that. I don't touch on politics very often. And I think 
I, are, I never get partisan publicly. My daughters would tell you different about home. <laughs> and you're not my church. I mean, I love you. I'm a part of you, but I'm not your pastor. So I want to be very, very careful that I don't say anything that in tone or in content would, uh, would differ. But I'm pretty confident um, we're on the same page. That uh, our, our nation is not without hope as long as we have people who embody hope. And we don't have to become powerful and rich and influential. We don't have to win debates in order to win the day. We win the day the way Jesus did, and Jesus had to put up with quite a bit. Jesus was on the receiving end of quite a bit. And yet his life and the way he lived it and the way he gave it away changed the world. That's what he calls us to as Christians. And I believe that's not just our Christian duty, it's our patriotic duty to live just that way. To not, get, to not show up for every battle we're invited to. To not have to take a side on every issue that everybody else is so polarized on. But to be able to recognize that people of sincere heart can have major disagreements about very important things because of their perspective and where they come from and who they are. And we as Christians can take a stand, we can speak our mind, and, and, can t and be loving and reconciling in the process. And I believe in the long run that will serve America and it will definitely serve the kingdom of heaven better than if we set the kingdom of heaven aside thinking that we have to go after some of these fights that our country's embroiled in in these days. If you're young, you might think this is the worst it's ever been. I've heard people say that, actually. Uh, our, neighbor, our nation's never been more divided. That's an exact quote from a theology conference I was at. Uh, I thought, well, you know, there's this little thing called the Civil War back then when we might have been a little more divided than we are now. <laughs> so let's not overblow the moment. Let's have confidence in the eternal wisdom and hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I pray for you? Our Father in heaven, we declare our dependence upon you. May you give us the courage and the wisdom and the love to live like it and to be good ambassadors for your kingdom. Everywhere we go, with everybody we know, we pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.